0: Hello, everyone. I am Mo and this is the Mo Sibyl podcast. Well, and this show is called the Mo podcast, and it's a podcast um, about Blacks and Asians and, and those who love them. And today I am running out a different kind of pattern. I actually have a a guest in-house. His name is Dr. Ernie, or NS Kaninji. He received his um, Doctor of Public Health degree from Florida A&M University's Institute of Public Health in August of 2016. He completed a two-year postdoctoral training in cancer health disparities at the University of Florida's Minority Cancer Research and Training Center, called the NeCART Center. And during this period, he also served as the Program Manager for the NIH-sponsored consortium, the Prostate Cancer Transatlantic Consortium. I'm also a member of that. It's called CAPTC. So you'll be hearing a lot about CAPTC, where he collaborated on a number of prostate cancer research studies with scientists in Nigeria, Cameroon, England, and also the U.S. I forgot to add U.S.
1: Yes, I am collaborating
0: with (laughs) a lot of researchers in the U.S. That picture is dated. Sorry about that. In addition, um, he's a principal investigator and director of francophone countries for CAPTC since August of 2018. He was also a member of the University of Florida, College of Pharmacy's diversity task force, where they were charged with developing initiatives to enhance diversity in the recruitment and retention of faculty, staff, and students in the University of Florida College of Pharmacy. He currently works for Georgia College, forgot to update that, and as an assistant professor. And um, so everyone join me in welcoming Dr. Ernie to the podcast. I'll just call him Ernie because I know him very well. So thanks a lot for coming. I am delighted to be here. I'm glad we finally got the chance to get this know, I know, I um, know. It's been almost, I think the first time I told you about that was last year, this yes. April or so, when I launched the show. I was like, okay, I need to get you on board because I know you're very passionate about prostate health and you know men's health and your research is very vast in that area. And we tried doing it in November, but then you we were in Nigeria for a conference. And then, you know, it was
1: hectic in and of itself. Oh, very
0: hectic, very hectic. I don't even think we could have been able to feed it in during the conference, but I'm glad this is, you know, happening now. Um, so I think let's just start with the basics. Let's talk about prostate cancer, because that's what we're going to talk about now. we are going to hear a lot about prostate health and men's health. Mm-hmm. Um, let's just start with, you know, what, like the definition of prostate cancer. All right. Well, that's
1: a good place to start. So uh, prostate is a male organ. It is part of the male reproductive organ. And the principal function of the uh, prostrate is really to produce the fluid that actually nourishes and actually helps to protect the semen in the female reproductive tract. So, again, the, uh, the prostrate is a male organ. It's about the size of a walnut. Yeah. All right. So it's a, a part of the male reproductive system. Now, when you talk about prostrate cancer, this is when cells within the prostrate, either they grow too fast or they die too slowly. So we have an issue when cells are growing out of control mm-hmm. and this could be caused by, you know, mutations or changes in the, in the gene structure. Mm-hmm. So basically that what, that's what happened, um, uh, in terms of how prostate cancer, uh, uh, comes about.
0: Right. Right. And I think another thing, you, I think you said something about the female, I think you meant to say male, not female reproductive. Correct. Let's just be very clear. Females so don't have prostate. So it produces the
1: semen, <laughs> Yeah, it produces a fluid that protects
0: the semen yeah. inside Inside, the yeah. male
1: reproductive tract. Yeah. That's but, what I meant to say. And it
0: sits beneath the bladder. So Correct. that's why some of the symptoms yeah. in my experience there will that. So thanks for that. So we now know the definition of what the prostate does. And it's not something you can even see visibly, but it can be, you know, felt like by you know, um, digital manipulations and all that. That is true. Yeah. So it's in uh, um, uh, front
1: of the bladder. So yeah. sometimes physicians will go through the uh, anal route and then try to get a feel of it. Yeah. Uh, if they suspect or if a patient is presenting with any symptoms, yeah. they want to get a feel.
0: Because as I said, it's, it's, a, it's the size of a walnut and they want to check and see if it's enlarged or not. Or not. Okay, yeah. Thank you for that. Um, I think another big thing would be, why should we able to talk about prostate cancer? I mean, of all cancers to talk about, why, why is prostate cancer important? Well, I'm so
1: glad you brought it up uh, because uh prostate cancer is really a silent killer. If you look globally, it is one of the highest uh cancers in terms of incidence among men globally. It's a second yeah. all right addition to that, prostate cancer is very specific to certain demographics one mm-hmm. so if you look at uh, prostate cancer, men of African descent, whether they are living in the Caribbean or they're living in the United States as African Americans, or oh, if you go back to the mother continent in Africa, men of African descent are disproportionately affected by this disease. So it's important that we shine some light into this, that people get to understand what uh, if they may be at risk for this disease, so they can take proactive action, because um, we may get to this later on. Yeah, I know you work a lot about this on survivorship, yeah. but if found early, Survivorship is very, very high. I yeah. mean, the rate of people who survive prostate cancer is very, very high. high yeah. So, um, it is a silent killer, but the good news is you could do something to make sure that if you do come down with this disease, it's found early where prognosis are much better mm. than if it it's found, if
0: it's found late. Thank you for that. And we would notice because, like I said, we belong to the same consortium. And if we have, like, um, a task force, we've had research conducted from different researchers from parts of the world. And we do know this for a fact that black males wherever you are whatever part of the world you are in you are disproportionately more affected and that means that you're either having higher um rates of getting prostate cancer at a very young age one and then you're presenting with you know more advanced, forms, yes yeah. at the stage and greater presentation so that's really very important what does that mean like if two black if two men walk into the clinic today one black one white with prostate cancer best believe that you know maybe seven out of ten or eight out of ten times the black person has the more aggressive form. And there are many reasons for that, which we can even start, you know. I think we should even start going down is that what would you see as some of the factors responsible for the higher rates we see in black males across the cancer?
1: So so that's a good question. Um a very complex question. But let's in general, let's just start in general and then I'll focus on black men. Sure. So you want to take a look at risk factors, we know that age. Yeah. All right. So the all that you become, the yeah. more advanced age, yeah. the more you're likely to be diagnosed. My professor said
0: probably Matisella had prostate cancer. Correct, correct, <laughs> absolutely. He lives to be yeah about or nine almost nine, nine sixty nine, nine, six nine, 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 nine. So, nine. So yeah, yeah, he probably had prostate cancer. Correct.
1: and just to put some more numbers into that, if you take a look at in the, like in the United States, uh, two thirds of all men who've been diagnosed with prostate cancer were aged sixty five years or over. Mm-hmm. All right, so it does come with age. Yeah. And then the second really established risk factor is really the family history. Yeah, so if um, you come if you have uh, someone in your family that was diagnosed with this disease, your chances of coming down with that disease is even higher.
0: Yeah.
1: And it gets even more higher depending on if it was a first-degree male relative. So if it was a father or a brother yeah. that came down with this disease, your chances of getting it is even higher. Yeah. All right? Yeah. So that's one. So we talked about age, we talked about um, family. family history. Wasn't
0: there even a data recently about breast cancer as well? Yes. Like if you had a family member, a female with breast cancer, so the BRCA gene, Correct. there could be a link mm-hmm. to Correct. you Correct. as a male having prostate cancer. And, and that's the interesting one. And as you recall,
1: we, part of our team, yeah. we DeLorean, were sitting to deliberate on that. They're doing a very, very extensive study in Nigeria to focus on breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And we could glean some things uh, from that study. Because if you take a look at, you know, uh, triple negative, the more aggressive form of, back, of uh, uh, breast cancer, yeah. it's happening more in African. And we're seeing the same dynamic in prostate cancer as well. So risk factors is age, is family history, but yeah. also African descent. Yes. So the statistics is showing that in the United States, you know, one out of nine men will come down with prostate cancer, but it's one out of five African American men. So disproportionately, we're saying this to answer your questions more directly. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely there is some genetics at play. So there's yeah. a genetic predisposition. Yeah. Uh, scientists are still working on this. There have been some research. They've looked at the, uh, AQ24, the, line oh, of yeah, the chromosome. And then, and then the overexpression of testosterone. Correct. Point. Correct. Yeah. They're looking at that. Um, they have also been some exciting studies, too, looking at, you know, early onset of violence and the relationship that and then they how have. how many with daughters you have, sir? How many daughters? So That
0: is scary. Do you want to, I mean, I, I I learned that during the Lauren conference last month, last year, actually, in November. And we had that, remember, there was like a long conversation. We had to pause a little bit. Was this correlation or causation? So can you explain a little bit for those that you know might be picked by this kind of information?
1: So based and that study still it hasn't been published yet, right? Oh, well, no, it's still in the works. (laughs) But based on what I understood was that they they saw some high association with men having two or three daughters Mm -hmm. with. Uh, um, uh,
0: so, the more daughters you have, the, the more daughters the higher your chances of, yeah, the more predisposition, predisposition you have. Me, that's the yes. word for it. So, that, that one's still Even oh, <laughs> that most, some, not most, like African men as a whole, some that are, that think backwardly might think, oh, I don't want, I don't want daughters in the first place. Now it's even more willing to say, oh, now I have daughters and I have prostate cancer.
1: So, interesting. And you're going somewhere, I'm sure we're still going to talk about it. Yeah. What, what can you do to prevent what you call cancer? Well, I don't know if you can, determine if you're going to have a... Uh, don't kill, kill your, your darling, is what no, we're uh,
0: saying. <laughs> so,
1: you see there are some of those factors that uh, predisposes men, but the question is, what can we do
0: to limit them? And in some cases, you may not be able to change... So, we're talking about modifiable factors. Correct. Not go kill off your daughters or things like that.
1: Absolutely. Okay. there are modifiable factors, yeah. but are also
0: factors that you don't have control over. Yeah. Uh, and one of that is just your ethnicity. Exactly. If you're black, uh, there's really nothing. You can't be transracial yet that we know of, you know. Yeah, I'm sure people are trying to... We can never say, you know. Um, I think another thing we forgot to mention was lifestyle. Even though it's just a... It, it's not component, but it's also very vital. Very vital. Very that.
1: vital. I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs> so um, so this is the area where we're taking a look at, you know, some lifestyle factors. So mm. for example, so some studies that have shown that lifestyle factors like tobacco consumption. Yeah. So if you look at men um, who were diagnosed with prostate cancer and who were smoking the 10 years prior to their diagnosis... They've been shown to have worse health outcomes. I know mm. you do a lot of research on health outcomes. Yeah. All right? But here's the tricky part. It has not been proven that if they stop smoking, their outcome is even better.
0: Oh, really? So just keep smoking in a way. <laughs> it's it's going to die. Is that what I'm trying to say? So it's,
1: it's, it's more complex. We know there are some some studies have shown some association between uh-huh. tobacco and health outcome. But going back to uh, some other uh, risk factors like diet. Diet is a huge yeah, aspect. Um, there have been some... Uh, components or some substances of some food that have been shown to be protective. For, for example, example in tomatoes,
0: this, yeah, in soybeans, yeah. correct. Calcium, right. I think, vitamin D. Yes. Mm-hmm. So as
1: we speak right now, there is active research to definitively determine that. Also, still with um, uh, lifestyle factors, a diet that is full of fatty foods. Oh yeah. Even red meat. Re- that's why oh, oh, I was known. Correct. Yeah. Yes. And fatty foods. The, the, in many studies have actually shown an association between High consumption of fatty food and red meat mm-hmm. and prostate cancer. How about alcohol? So there have been some studies that have linked them, uh, but here's the thing, and you do a lot of uh, um, biostatistics and yeah. epidemiology, you know, when you talk about smoking and alcohol, sometimes it could be a co-founder. Yeah. So people who smoke, most of the time, they're drinking, one shop. Yeah, correct. So there've been some studies, but it hasn't been shown if that is really a co-founder or if that's independent of the smoking mm. by itself. I see. Because people who smoke tend to drink as well.
0: Probably let's look at like, you know moderation and interaction effects, like combining alcohol versus alcohol and and. and um um, tobacco, tobacco. And then see how that predicts, in a way, the final model. Well, maybe you're giving us an idea for our next project. There you go. <laughs> you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so we've talked about prostate, we've talked about prostate cancer, we've, you know, thrown out some epidemiology. We know that blacks are at risk of, you know, dying and even getting, you know, diagnosed in time. And I think, um, one of the biggest controversies about prostate cancer will be the screening methods. Before we talk, into some of, talk about some of the controversies, can you tell us how, you know, prostate cancer is usually detected, like what ways are they detected? Absolutely. So, detect prostate cancer. so generally, there are many uh, screening
1: tools that are used to detect prostate cancer. The two that are most widely used is the prostate-specific antigen test, the PSA yes, test is a blood test. Mm-hmm. So basically, um, actually I did that on the 27th during my annual hospital, oh, the they took yeah. blood level, I said make sure you, the doctor just have to indicate that they want PSA yeah. to be done as one of the tests. Mm-hmm. So. We'll run some blood work. they'll come back and it could show if um a psa is elevated in some it could be an indication yeah. but the problem with that test is that there have been so many false positives for a test that's called person specific <laughs> right <laughs> and mostly because again uh, each person is different you mm-hmm. may have higher levels for some people that is normal but for some other people it is not uh, uh it, it warrants for that investigation yeah so the psa is one test but because psa again a lot of false positive uh, leads into biopsy, where people don't turn out not to have the disease, and then yes. it just causes psychological problems stress. stress. I would
0: say it might not be very tumor-specific in a way. Yes,
1: better. in a way it is not. And usually the way it's being done right now is to do that in conjunction with the, the second, DNA. which is a digital rectal exam. That is the, um, uh, the screening method with the doctor when you go for an annual exam. Right. Uh, if you mention any uh, signs and symptoms they actually put a glove finger through yeah, the I probably see that on
0: TV a lot. They snap the gloves and make it look scary. And then the doctor does his hand like that. And then I have a picture that comes up in men like, oh, no, I'm not going to bend over and have a doctor like, finger me in my butt to fight me or something wrong. You know, they make it look sinister. Like when I see them depicted on TV, you know, and I think that's really, it's making it, it's bad branding and marketing. Sorry. I drank, I drank yeah, right.
1: No, no, you bring up a very, very interesting point because doing research in the United States, especially among African-American men where we know they're more predisposed to come up with this disease at an earlier age, a yeah. more aggressive form of the disease. One of the factors have been uh, a reluctance to go get tested, especially with digital internal exam. Some people consider that a violation of their own privacy. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's something men really have to consider what are the potential risk and what are the potential and what are benefits. benefits? Yeah. Some men, the benefits far outweigh the risk, They'll mm-hmm. rather know early. And just before we, we, we move to screening to start talking about the pros mm-hmm. and cons, One key thing to keep in mind is that early onset of prostate cancer usually
0: does not just often manifest in signs and symptoms. That's true. That's true. So when you say, well, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Because sometimes when you're having those symptoms, it's usually a sign that's that's probably progressed.
1: It's advanced. It's advanced. It's advanced. So this goes back to the point we've been trying to make is that people really need to know their um the risk factors what could potentially put them at risk yeah to make sure that getting regular checkups regular screening you cannot necessarily just use one tool as a psa oh, sure. but then if you have a psa um, uh, baseline from year to year you could tell if it's elevated or not your doctor can be able to determine if uh it warrants any further investigation or mm-hmm. not but just keep in mind that if you're waiting to have signs of symptoms you before you go get screened well, you may find your disease at a
0: very advanced stage. At a very advanced age. Yes, that's that's very important you mentioned. Before we even you know that go on to the next topic, I think one thing I wanted to ask to talk about was things that could go wrong with the prostate, because sometimes an elevated PSA doesn't necessarily indicate you know prostate cancer. So, can you give us some examples of things that could go wrong with the prostate? Go wrong with the prostate. But it might not necessarily be indicative for prostate cancer? Yeah, so it
1: depends. To and you, you work in a pharmacy school. Uh, there are some medications. So based on what people are taking, mm-hmm. that they are uh, for whatever health condition, you know, some may be some men may actually be taking a treatment for erectile dysfunction, mm-hmm. taking some medications to increase the testosterone level, but mm-hmm. that may also impact, you know, PSA. It might even their
0: PSAs. Correct.
1: So you may pick up an elevated PSA, but that may not indicate that. The, uh, the patient necessarily have a problem with the prostate, it may be as a result of some of the medication in their system. Okay, yeah. And again, elevated level, it depends on the individual. For That's some true. people, elevated levels may be okay, for mm-hmm. others not. Yeah. So it really depends on the individual. It also depends on their medical history mm-hmm. and especially
0: medication that they may be taking. Also, I know, I know people that ride their bikes a lot. That is true. And then also, um, ejaculation is also one that can increase PSA levels. Correct. And um, you can also have like an elevated PSA due to prostatitis mm-hmm. or benign mm-hmm. prostatic you know hyperplasia. So there's so many things that can drive your PSA. That's why PSA is not like the only thing that they look at when they are determining prostate cancer screening.
1: It is not the only thing, and that's why you have to work with your doctor because even when they're doing the uh, the checkup of the, uh, uh, the during the DRE, you may yeah. have an enlarged prostate. It doesn't just mean that it is you know it, it may be benign. Yeah, it may be benign. So again, you really have to work with your doctor. Uh, when in doubt, the doctor may proceed to the next step, which is do a biopsy to uh, have a pathologist confirm yeah. if there is a disease that's
0: present or not. That's true. Um, one of the things that really struck me out is, uh, it made me a little bit pause for concern during my, I've been researching prostate cancer now for uh, maybe seven, eight years, seven years thereabout. is how there's no uniformity as far as screening guidelines. And there are reasons for this. So let's talk about why, you know, we have different, um, thought leaders, like different thought organizations giving us different guidelines and why that can be a demerit to, you know, black males, especially given that they have a higher rate of, you know, there's a higher incidence in black males and higher grade and presentation, a state at presentation. Why, why was, why is it that the American Castor Society, the, um, AUA, American Neurology Association, the United States Preventive Task Forces. Basically, people will look up to to give us guidelines for like screening and all of that for other cancers. There does not seem to be a uniform voice as regards to prostate cancer screening.
1: So, very very important point. So, there are conflicting uh, points of view in terms of guidelines and recommendations Mm -hmm. from the various medical societies regarding prostate cancer. And it really goes back to um, the development of that prostate specific antigen test back in the, uh, mid 80s and how that was, um, being used to, uh, so we have to understand that some men actually, uh, there have been, um, um, there have been studies. How you call a study when somebody's passed away? Toss- term- was was uh, yeah. Autopsy studies. Oh, oh right. <laughs> Autopsy studies have shown that when you look at men who died, uh, especially in advanced age, a lot of them, have, were found to have prostate cancer even though they did not die of prostate cancer. Mm-hmm. So the problem goes back to the PSA test. The PSA test sometimes picks up uh, prostate cancer. This is a disease that is slow growing over time yeah. and sometimes people may have not the aggressive form of the disease. The PSA tends to pick up everything, creates concern and there have been some studies that have done that have shown that the value of screening uh, um, may not be proportionate to the risk that people may be exposed to. Mm-hmm. So basically, the, the benefit-risk benefit ratio, correct. Mm-hmm. That is a key factor. But you mentioned at the, at the end of your question talking about men who are more predisposed. So yeah. the problem is that a lot of the studies that led to that conclusion were done mm. with very few African American men within the sample size. Yeah. So uh, I really like what the American Urologic AUA, Association recommends. Yeah. I mean they really recommend that for all men yeah. between the ages of fifty nine and yeah. fifty nine, yeah. they do recommend that they speak to their doctors mm-hmm. about screening, the
0: risks and benefits but of that informed decision making. Absolutely and I think the National Medical the NMA mm-hmm. they also support what the AUA stands for. And they go even further They say for men who have a
1: family history of the oh, disease, yes. or yeah. for men of African descent, yeah. uh, because we know they have genetic predisposition, for those men beginning at the age of 40 to 54, yeah. they should be talking to their clinicians, to the physicians, about that, about the risk and benefit of uh, screening, so that we together with the physicians, yeah. they can make an informed decision. I think
0: that trial we're talking about was a PLC trial, the prostate lung um, colorectal ovarian trial, and the found out that 60% of the men who had screening probably not have benefited from it, we don't know that, you know, if you think about the numbers needed to treat the NNT, you need to prevent, I think, if you treat one, you can, if you treat, if you screen a thousand, you can prevent one death. That is correct. So it's not, it doesn't look fan, fantastic on paper, but that's still one life, you know? Yeah, that's still one life, you know? yes. but then they go into, and
1: you, you will <coughs> run into this, I know you become a, uh, a... A cancer Prevention Fellowship uh, fellow this summer. Uh, you you oh, run into, I had a big argument there last year on this same topic. But it comes to what they talk about recommendations for widespread screening. Uh, so they're saying some populations could benefit from that. And that's what the American Urologic Association is yeah. trying to do. And also the American Cancer Society, they're saying for men yeah. who have a higher um, risk of developing prostate cancer, yeah.
0: maybe at age 40, you start talking to your doctors. Yeah. Whereas for men of average risk, exactly, they can wait till 50. They can wait till 50, yes. And I think I like that, you know, um, ethnicity specific guideline because it seems to favor us black, black people as well because we tend to have, you know, you know. Um, An early diagnosis of this horrible disease. Before you go any further, Mm -hmm. I just
1: have to follow up on that point and say it also speaks to the issue of disparities. So that is the population that that bears the uh, uh, disproportionate burden of this disease. Almost on everything. So it does warrant that we should tailor our recommendations and our interventions to Mm -hmm. that group. Because they tend to bear the brunt of this. And before we go, I'm just going to plug in here that it also is a responsibility on men of African descent to also participate in a lot of these clinical trials. Thank you. Because We're just talking about yeah. this uh, guidelines recommendation. Yeah. We, for example, and I'm, I'm an advocate, and I do take issues with uh, telling an African-American man over 40 years, wait till 50. But if we are not participating in the clinical trials that lead up to those guidelines, then uh, forever we'll, we'll have to deal with this yeah. as it is. One of the
0: things I'm working on with my other lupus is to increase um, minority representation in clinical trials for lupus. Because a lot of the drugs that came out, they couldn't use them in black people because they had an underrepresentation for blacks. But a lot of doctors have been using them off-label, and they seem to be working. But the guideline says, you know, it doesn't work in blacks because the black arm wasn't, you know, they were well represented. So if we want to advance research in this area, if we want to make sure that we're living, you know, quite as long and, you know, healthily as possible, we need to start participating more. And we do know there are many reasons why Blacks, you know, yeah. you know, giving, you know, just, Lack you of trust. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, we, there, there are more rules now in place where, you know, your rights as an individual are protected, where you can always pull out of studies if you feel something is going on. And there are better, you know, standards of care now compared to way back in the 60s when people were just using, you know, everybody especially Black people as guinea pigs for their research. And one more point on this. We
1: also have to uh, talk about education among healthcare providers. Oh yes, one of the main reasons family physicians. Yes, I saw uh, studies that showed one of the main reasons Black men were asked in a study why didn't you? Why would you not participate in the clinical trials? I I wasn't asked. They weren't asked. They weren't asked. So we do have to um, create that awareness to among um, uh, practitioners to also uh, think about strategies to include. Purposefully try to include, yeah, um, more men of color, more men, especially people who bear a disproportionate burden of this I mean, disease. To you would expect that they would
0: be the reference, well, it's not the reference yeah. category, but well, like a well representation of it. Because generally, some of these studies are underrepresented, they have an Chronic of, under-representation. underrepresentation. That's the word. <laughs> underrepresentation, yeah. yeah. All right, so thanks for that. Um, so we've talked about that. Now, what are some of the symptoms of prostate cancer? Like, when would you start to see the symptoms? Like, what are some of the things that you know? All right, so, and again, let's just say.
1: Uh, most men, are di- uh, before their diagnosis, are asymptomatic. Yes. But, uh, uh, um, you know, the, the more symptoms you're getting, the more it is a sign that you may actually have an advanced uh, a disease. But let me just give you some symptoms. It's just difficulty with re- remuneration. As I mentioned, the prostate organ itself... It's been the bladder and it's has been size. When it grows bigger, it starts pushing up on the bladder and it's interrupting uh, urine so, to flow from yeah. the uterus out to the penis. Mm-hmm. So you, when um, frequent re- urination, because people go, they cannot empty their bladder at one go. Uh-huh. All right. So they go frequently, uh, especially at night. They're going at night. Some of them are having pains and they're back. back. Pain, yeah. Uh, they're having
0: back pains. Because um, I was asking my dad to go to the hospital, I was like, it ah, doesn't have back pain, and I'm like, are you kidding me? That you don't have it yet—that's a good sign. Now go get screened before you start having. Battery. Correct.
1: And a more critical one is if you're having blood in your urine, if you're seeing yeah. blood in, in your material, hearing, in it's system. it's a big sign. It's a big, big sign that yeah. uh, um, you may actually be coming down with prostate cancer. And also, also the, flow. the flow is not consistent. That's that was my yeah. point. Yeah. So the flow, but so <laughs> but for some men, um, the flow decreases too with age. Yeah, it wins with age. But if you if you're noticing. Serious issues with the flow of your urine—we definitely want to talk um, to your physicians. Set up an appointment with a urologist. So, uh, and this is this is really the heart of the matter: is for people to get to know some of these signs and symptoms, yeah. so that um, in the event that they're having any manifestation of any one of the signs, to try and see a practitioner Golden as time. soon as possible yeah. to get checked up. Well,
0: patients. let's even just say this blindly: like I think it's very expedient for everyone to go for yearly screenings, you know, and have that thorough examination. You take your car to the mechanic shop every three, four months or so to get your, you know, your all checked, everything, you know, serviced and all that. Do that to your body. It's just a yearly exam. It doesn't have to be every other month. And if you're over 40 and you have a family history and you're black, talk to your doctor about the benefits of, you know, of prostate cancer screening because that could also be that teaching
1: time that's stage nine. Absolutely. And again, the American Urologic Society actually recommends screening every one to two years. Um, and the reason why that's important is that we want to have some baseline data to compare to see correct. the, the mm-hmm. and right. that freezing Correct. Sure. Correct. So if uh, your PSA score is uh, maybe two below you know, four, if it's two within that range, and then all of a sudden we're seeing four and five that may warrant some further investigation. Yeah. But that's yes. based on data. If we don't have the baseline screening data, how do we know how to help you? We have nothing to go off of. That's true. So that's, that's where true. a lot of the psychological uh, factors are coming about, which uh, a lot of the medical practitioners are worried about. Yeah, it's about proceeding, doing biopsy. Yeah. in something that's not. It's
0: benign. It's yeah. not it might be indolent, and then maybe indolent. Like mamiki, yes. you know. Violent and yeah, all that. Yeah, but then if you
1: have a track record of screening, you could tell uh, okay, before you even go in that state. Exactly, exactly. And
0: never did rectal examination. From what I've heard, I haven't had one done because I don't. <laughs> you data. don't have to. Yes. <laughs> it it's it's lasts for less than a minute or two. Yeah. You know, it's not as you know sinister as we see it on TV. Now, um, I did a study with um, the Behavioral Risk Factor Surveillance um, System, mm-hmm. which is like a cancer registry data in the US. And one of the things my co-authors and I found was um that they tend to be an overselling of the benefits of prostate cancer and an undermining of the as a potential harms of prostate cancer screening rather. So basically when you think about informed decision making where you tell the person the advantages and disadvantages and let them weigh the options they have. Because your doctor can still tell you why you need to do it, but he needs to tell you the advantages and disadvantages. Because there's no need overselling it. Like we said, some cancers that can be there, they can live there for for life, even after yeah. you're dead, when they exhume your corpse and uh, do the autopsy, they will still find it Incorrect. because you know, if you have a breast age, guess what? It grows exactly. with age. Exactly. So now let's, I think so it's very important for us to talk about the potential benefits and the expected harms. Of prostate So let's start with the benefits, Dr. N. M. Kaninji, What do you think are some of the benefits of screening for prostate? Cancer?
1: I think one of the major benefits is really the peace of mind. Uh, having to know, uh, for example, that you're at a higher risk just means that you take more control over your life and your health. make mm-hmm. uh, so. Uh, I when I do a lot of um, my research and then sometimes I run into some men who have been diagnosed or been treated. Usually I tell them I say you have the responsibility to let your sons or your nephews know. Mm. So we cannot stay ignorant about this disease. So early screening um, helps us, first of all, to give you peace of mind, yeah. all right, to help you know your status. We we'll talk about status and many yeah. other diseases. Yeah. So people need to know if we have to pay more attention to this. Yeah. So if, for example, we found out that you're having, you're presenting with uh, a lot of uh, uh, signs and symptoms, it may yeah. warrant more frequent visits to the doctor yeah. to monitor that, to determine what set, what course of treatment action may be required. Yeah.
0: So, having that peace of mind, but also really letting your family
1: know because it's a family business. That's, that's
0: why we Africans, I notice that a lot. Like, we tend to withhold some information from our progeny. And when we don't talk to them about things they might be predisposed to, we put them in danger. Absolutely. You know, like, oh, we know our dad died of something, but we don't know. Some will have cancer and they won't even tell their spouses yes. about it. We've yes. heard that a lot. That's a big problem. That's a big problem. But also,
1: I think the most important benefit of uh, screening. It's really in terms of treatment options. Uh, sure. Uh, so when you come up with advanced disease, sometimes the doctors don't have too many tools in their toolbox to, in terms of See, treatment options. There's so much, options,
0: you know, you can go. Yes. Uh,
1: but as we mentioned before, and maybe we'll talk about this some more, survival is very high if found early. It's five years of life. I must say like
0: five percent, I think.
1: I remember that.
0: Yeah.
1: So it's a lot of benefit because yeah. if found early, there is treatment, there is hope. So what we're trying to do is really in my area, it's just really in the prevention part, primary prevention, primary prevention, not tertiary, correct.
0: Because be by then,
1: there are less options for the doctors, mm-hmm. and then they're more costly, yeah. and then uh, some of the treatments we don't know if they work for this operation exactly. because if we've not participated in clinical trials. And the quality trials. of
0: life is very debatable. Like, huge part. You in want to cost- start wearing com- diapers? Uh, so, so that may be.
1: <laughs> um, that's on the other side of the coin. You talked about benefits. What are some of the uh, uh, downsides? If you don't get triggered, we yeah. find out with advanced disease, you yeah. end up with incontinence. Quality of life is so much more reduced as opposed to if found early yeah. because you did screening. it. So yeah. not not another um, drawback, another um, uh, down effect of not getting screened, mm. as you said, is that your family don't know. So we keep perpetuating yeah. the cycle yeah. of people within the, uh, the same family being impacted by this disease, whereas if you got screened, when you know older, you could take action, you yeah. could potentially
0: protect uh, your family line. Now, I used to work, as a pharmacist, when I worked in Nigeria. I used to work with HIV patients, and at the point, even now, it's not as bad as it used to be. HIV to be heavily stigmatized in my country. And so people getting screen in time, you know, and there were, some were transplants, I mean, they infected their spouses. And anyways, um, but it's gotten a lot better. But I found out, also with cancer, I'm seeing that trend of stigma, People we don't want to talk about it. And I do understand a little bit to a degree why HIV could be stigmatized, even though it's, I don't support it. It's that lifestyle component, like, you know, if you go have a protective sex and all of that. But I don't know why cancer still remains stigmatized, especially in Africa. Why people don't want to say the C word? Like, you know, someone died of it, but then the family members just want to you know, hush around. I don't say anything. Why do you think that is? So my research in Cameroon
1: found out that. Oh, it's Cameroonian, um, by the way. Anyway. Yeah. So my research in Cameroon found out very strong stigma about uh, prostate cancer, and one of the main reasons was because survival is very low. Uh, people go to the hospital with advanced disease. They do surgery. They don't come up. Prognosis are very bad. So people are just fearful. Prostate cancer is like a death sentence. People it's don't really? want to talk about this. So, um, it's stigmatized because, again, it's advanced age. People don't survive. Uh, also, you talked about some of the, uh, side effects of treatment. Yeah. Incontinence. Yeah. So the people working with, you know, um, Athers. catheters, right? Yeah. And then sometimes it's not very sanitary. Mm. I mean, it's smelling. Uh, I and mean, then I did a focus group and one person was telling me he cared for patient and just saw the pain, the pain that he saw his patient go through. Um, so i so there's a lot of stigma, especially in Cameroon. Yeah. There are I forgot about the sexual dysfunction too. Correct. This is very important to men, and that's why people some, some men don't want to yeah. talk. Don't touch that, that area. Correct. So, but I just wanted to leave that topic on a positive note. Yeah. To mention that there are especially um, faith-based organizations like churches who bring in a pharmacist um, to come talk to their group members about prostate cancer. Mm-hmm. So there, there are some efforts, especially among religious organizations, to help <coughs> educate their people, men in their groups about prostate cancer, what are the signs and symptoms, what could be done about it. But yeah. in the general population, it's a taboo subject. It doesn't get split. So it doesn't get, it doesn't get a, as much attention. What, what that tells me is that I still have a lot of work to do yeah. to raise awareness, awareness yeah. and to let people know this is something that you have to pay attention
0: to just as much as women have to pay attention to their annual mammogram. As yeah. Well. And I think we do a little bit of that, you know, like I have friends that they tell me, well, diabetes was in my family, so I don't, you know, Take the, especially males, like we we do that to a degree already in other aspects of our lives, as far as other health issues. Why not just extend that courtesy to prostate cancer screening, especially if there's a high family history of that. But then how do you know if you have a family history of that, if your parents don't talk to you about that, about your family tree and things that you're predisposed to. So there's so many multilayers here. I mean, be, you be, before you go
1: further, let me just, okay. because I'm very passionate about this. I this can see. Some of the things that we found out um, in my research in Africa. So, so one of the issues has to do with keeping data. We're not keeping data. Oh, yeah. Uh, we're not keeping uh, data. Really, mean,
0: and actually, habits
1: are really bad. and also within the family, family members need to talk, need to have their communication. I know you did a study about communication oh, yeah. among men. In and,
0: communication. That is
1: so critical about that. this disease, because if we don't communicate, we don't know it's in the family history, we could fall in the same trap. Yeah. Um, but also, a bigger problem in, in Africa is that the focus more has been on infectious diseases.
0: I know. You mentioned
1: HIV, you mentioned malaria. NGOs and all that, yeah. Well, and rightfully so, because those diseases used to kill a lot yeah, of people. Yeah. But now we're actually at an inflection point. Yeah. We are facing, uh, for many African countries, you're having that epidemiological transition. HIV is no longer uh, a death sentence. People are living longer. longer and life yes. expectancy is expanding. So people are not dying of infectious diseases anymore. In mm-hmm. uh, the norms that they used to uh, just a couple of decades ago, so now the focus now has to shift to non-infectious, disease. non-infectious like chronic diseases yeah. like mm. this. You brought up a good example about uh, insulin. I found in Cameroon. People are educated about salt intake. Yeah. We have to do the same work to With make sure that they cancer. become
0: aware yeah. of
1: um, prostate cancer. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, so let's just talk about this topic because I know someone might ask, can it be prevented? Excellent question. Excellent question. <laughs> so no one strategy has been proven
1: to prevent prostate cancer. As I mentioned to you before, I'll give you the example of smoking where it's been shown that people who smoke within 10 years of a diagnosis have worse outcomes. However, it's not been shown conclusively that smoking cessation may stop prostate cancer. So it's a combination of factors here we want to look at. So one of them, again, we talked about um, diet. Mm -hmm. So making sure that we avoid uh, some of the fat food, the red meat um, that we've been told uh in some studies, even though it's not been conclusively shown, yeah. it's associated with this. Mm-hmm. But also just doing some more research to some of those uh, uh food items that have been shown to have protective factors. Yeah. To make sure we have a definitive answer on, on that, that. Yeah. on uh, certain supplements. So um you ask me, can it be protected? I say, well, if you're a black man then you have the <laughs> And there's no trans there's have. no surgery oh, do yet. Correct. So <laughs> so so that's a conundrum. But yeah. which means we have to really emphasize Prevention and screening, and getting to know the risk factors. Yeah, yeah. Knowing uh, where you are in terms of a risk factor. Yeah. Do you have a family history of this disease? Um, are you a man of African descent? Are you of age, forty years yeah. or older? Yeah. So that way you could pay a close attention because yeah. it's a combination of efforts. There's no one. The one that yeah. has been shown Yeah. I to think me.
0: that's also what makes prostate cancer really very really dicey. Is the top three risk factors that things you cannot modify. You know, age you can't modify that yet. Um, race, no, you cannot change your race yet. And then, you know, family history, which, you know, is almost immutable because... it's stuck with it. It's stuck with it. Yeah. And um, let's just recap, like, when should people get tested for prostate cancer? Like, this is taking into consideration that they've had that conversation with their doctors yeah. and they're aware. What are the age we need? What's that age bracket again? Just to so, recap for those that are listening. Yes. if they're black. Yes,
1: and I'll go back to the American <coughs> Urology the Association. Association yeah. They're actually saying for African-American men and for men with a family history about this disease... They should start talking to their doctor about screening from age 40 to 54. Mm-hmm. And then do that screening once. Every one to two, two years. years yeah. Now, for men of average risk, which is every other man, they should start having that conversation between 55 to 50, right? Un- until mm-hmm. we've had definitive studies that show the benefit of screening at population population a
0: population level. That's true. So you have that's to keep true. in mind the
1: guidelines that are setting forth is different population. when you're making a re- uh, recommendation for one person. Individual, yes. If it's focused on the population, they have to scientifically show that the evidence outweigh the risk of getting many more people yeah. worry
0: about the disease that they may not have. I or know. that's so indolent, they and may then, get, they, could, they, die they die could die, die of something else. Yes, yes. You get killed by a card, right? correct. Right. You know, right. yeah. um, so in what, one of my research focused on just looking at longer Black males, like those that are, and by black we mean everyone black. It doesn't have to be African American. Mm-hmm. We mean men from Caribbean, men yeah. from you know of African descent and all that. Was um, I remember one quote that stood out to me during one of the focus group. And one that I why I focused on younger black males was a lot of studies have been done in older black males, I and mean, we know behavior is something that is very hard to modify. Why not let's catch them young, know, start to let them thinking about prostate cancer screening, so that when they get older, we inform decision making processes mm-hmm. in place. They can decide whether or not to screen. Was this guy said he had gone to he had driven his dad to the clinic to go get tested for I think it was a DRE, mm-hmm. the rectal examination. And you know on the way to the hospital, you know they were talking, you know dad and son, you know um, conversation going on. Yeah. And then right after the appointment, and he was waiting in the car, that he could see that there was a change in his dad's countenance, and he knew what that was about. And then they never talked about anything. That the right back home was so awkward. That he, that the look he saw on his dad's face was one of the reasons why he never thought he could ever get the diary done. So I guess what I was trying to point out is why do you think what are the reasons why black male as a as a um as a, for example, don't talk about prostate check with their doctors? It's a cultural
1: thing too. So you have this image of a black mature man that can handle the problems. So masculinity, deal with that, masculinity, cultural Culture And one urologist in Cameroon actually told me and men tend to respond more to pain. If it's not pain to the point where they get, debil- uh, it stops them from doing
0: everything else, they don't come in. That's so true. So if I don't, if I don't, if I'm not peeing blood, if I can't get up from the bed, then I don't need to worry about it. Correct. And so that's why you're focused on those younger black men where we can change those
1: attitudes, where they're more amenable to Different ways of thinking about this, about uh, being willing to show vulnerability. Yes. All right. That's where we could have the most impact. Yes. But the story you just mentioned actually raises a very important aspect. So, prostate cancer may have to deal with the male organ, but it is a family disease. That's true. The impact yeah. is not just on the men, it it's is viral. on the wife, yeah. it is also on the family. Yeah. Uh, you do a lot about quality of life, especially yeah. as the women taking care of them. That's terrible. But yeah. I'm saying that to make this point that when men, uh, actually, we've also found we when you take a, take a look at uh, uh, social influences on men, mm-hmm. the wives are the ones that are actually at the forefront encouraging the men to go get checked up. Yeah, And it's also important for the women to actually go for some of these appointments, the, especially the yeah. where a diagnosis could be made mm-hmm. because it's a very emotional, it's very charged. Yeah. Uh, I had um, a survivor who mentioned to me, said, I, I don't remember that conversation. All I knew, I, I had... Prostate cancer, I don't even know how I get home. Um, so there's a lot that they're processing at that point. Yes, right. It is very important that their wives or a significant other or son be there, yeah. who could be the rational person, looking at the to doctor, take yeah. notes. Yeah. But more importantly, even just driving them back home, they may not be in the right emotional state. And reassuring state. them, I
0: think. exactly, yeah. exactly,
1: yeah. to go back home and you know think about this rationally and then start discussing what options they have. Yeah. So that social support too is very important. I nice. know it comes a lot from the women, from the uh, the sons and the daughters, yeah. but we have to underline okay. the fact that prostate cancer is really a family disease, it is even really. though
0: it affects just It them. is really. I had a father figure of diabetes and I saw his life just like he shrunk to half his body size. And that that was actually what prompted me to go in this area of research because he had all the money. He was, you know, well well to do, but he just didn't take care of his health in time. And um along that line, I think when we look at the continuum of prostate cancer, you know, from prevention to um Screening to diagnosis to treatment and then to survivorship, they do need support as much as they could. I remember talking to a lady here and her husband went through um a um a radical prostatectomy to take out you know basically cutting off a section of the prostate I think, mm-hmm. and of course that came with a lot of you know um, yes. side effects, depression, anxiety especially, mm-hmm. and a feeling of feeling of less of a man. Yeah, and she said one of the things she had to do was constantly reassuring that. Honey, you're so, you're so old to me. Yeah. Like, it's okay if we can, it can't be as good as it used to be before. And I think that's what men need to constantly know. And we also need to understand that what we might, as researchers, what we might think as a good quality of life might not be what, you know, uh, the patient population think is quite a good quality of life. Some might say, I don't mind dying at 60 with a good sex life, but don't keep me here, like, till I'm 80 and I can't get it up. You know. So we also need to look at treatment options. And talk about the benefits and the potential harms of those treatment modalities with our patients. It's critical of the work that you're doing in
1: this space uh, because um, especially I I'm really focused more on people in Africa. So yeah. talking about the quality of life, yeah. uh, still the taboo doesn't get talked about, much less the quality of life of those people. As you said, it does vary from individual to individual, to, from family to family. But we do have to understand the complexities and be able to provide support for those people. That's because they're basically just on their own. Uh, just on their own. Even being able is one of the things I'm thinking later on in Cameron is try to set up a support network mm-hmm. where people can draw from the strength of each other uh, who've gone
0: down this road oh, getting true. diagnosed, and Just let them know. That's really good. Somebody to talk to. Somebody who yeah. can actually share their experience. Someone before. Yes. Someone like me. Yes. Yeah. And I think you also need to understand is that if you think about the grooming process between a boy child and a girl child, it's so different. Mm-hmm. Like I started going to the like and and I think it's also because my mom took me a lot to the clinic to see that. And then when you reach the age of men, when you have your first men's yeah. it's like anything can. And my, yeah. my doctor could call me now and say, "Hey, I want to examine you." Yeah. I just open wide up. I don't have any shame about it. I, I don't feel uncomfortable about it because we've been groomed as women to you know get checked a lot. And then when we have our monthly period, like we used to stuff around that area. But with men, you don't have you know you don't go for testicular checks except if you have like some issue down there. But you you have that silent phase for a long period of time. And then BAM! They're 40, you tell them to flip over. You wanna flip their bean? Like, no way, Jose. So I think that's also a big component between looking at why men as a whole don't want to get that area checked. You you put your your finger on a very very important you <laughs> know. Are you trying
1: to make a joke there? Yes, no, no. The, the development <laughs> of the uh, the male is, is is very different from the female. Yeah. So we go through that period where we don't have. I mean, it's just being macho. Silent yeah. years of Jesus in our Right. World. Yeah. yeah. We're just trying to prove we're strong. Yeah. We're strong, we're and then so that's why that transition to show some vulnerability. It's, it's very, very important. tough for so yeah. But that's what we have a lot of work to do. Yeah. Uh, to let men understand that it makes you know less of a man yeah. to getting checked up. And more importantly, letting them know it's about empowerment. It's yeah. about you taking control of your health. Yeah. It's about you knowing some key indications about your family health. Yeah. And then you can make that decision. So my goal is to really to help educate men. So they go to meet their doctors with information that well they are yeah. Well informed. Yeah. So they
0: are participants in the discussion on you know, health as to what treatment option makes yeah. sense for them. I know I was trusting to a doctor. And it's okay to get first opinion, second opinion, third opinions until you. If it doesn't feel right to you, then don't do it. Well, you just mentioned second opinion. Yeah. I
1: still have, a, a, one of my good friends an advocate and one of his biggest regrets is that he felt uh, signs and symptoms, gone to a doctor and the doctor says, don't worry about it. And then four years later, he was found with very advanced uh, disease, prostate cancer. So his biggest regret, he would go up to the top of the mountain, he's shouting out, "He says, go get check up. If something doesn't feel right to you, and your, your practitioner is not willing to pursue further investigation, go get a second uh, opinion." He said, "Your health is too important to leave it
0: in the hands of one man when you have doubts about the treatment that's being given you." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so that's so good to mention. I think on a on a smaller scale of that is we have that you know. Um, PI in a group that takes her son. I think he's in his teens now, to get like testicle examinations done every year. Mm-hmm. And the reason she gave for that was so that he can, whenever he's, whenever he's, re- he's ready or whenever they tell him he has to do a de character examination, it's not going to be something foreign and, you know, alien to him. And, um, we know that, we've talked about this and I want to emphasize it. Another reason why men don't really talk to their doctors, they don't, even, they don't have a doctor in the first place. You, you work hard a lot. You, your family, you send them on vacation and all of that, but you as a man, you're not taking care of yourself. You haven't gone on an annual screening, an check an checkup in the in, in the past, you know, ten, twenty years or what, however long. That is not, you know, healthy. So, I'm um, fine. Establish some form of continuity of care because remember we talk, what what Doctor Kanjir was talking about. You need to have, you know, data backed up. Like go yearly, so you sure. can see like what what happened last year. Why is this? number going higher, because there's nothing, they can't compare nothing to nothing, like you have to establish that care, so let's do that, and also fear of the unknown, I know cancer is scary, like really, that word cancer is scary, but we've made a lot of advancements in this day and age, in making sure that life can be extended, and we have, you know, options compared to many years ago, so yeah, that fear is real, but there's so many resources available for you, and there's so many options, so don't let the fear of the unknown really push you and your family, like we said, um, prostate cancer is a family disease, into so much trauma and pain for things that can be easily preventable and things that can be easily managed before they become advanced. Just to add to that message of hope
1: is that the survival rate for prostate cancer is very high. It's upward of 90 to 95% if found early. So the right treatment for this. But we also have to say we need the help of uh, other members of the family. It could be the mother, it could be the daughter who are more prone to going to the doctors who are setting up these appointments. Do help the men in your life. Make sure that they have an appointment. Be yeah. uh, be persistent. Push them. Make sure that they do have an appointment. If yeah. necessary, take them there. Just make sure that they're having that annual screening. Yeah. So you do have some data you can go to. But if the man is not
0: doing it, I will use the help of the wife or the significant other yeah. to help we them. We have make a role to play, women. Yes. Really. I had someone in my focus who told me that, well, um, I don't do it, but my wife makes me do, do it. And my husband is such a way that if you miss your appointment, you pay $50. So I don't want to miss that appointment when I go. And I know my wife will not talk to me if I miss my appointment. So there you go. Women, we, we can put that pressure on our men because we want them to live longer. We want them to live healthy. So this is one way we can do that. And, um, let, I think before we go, let's talk about some of the prospects that you know, prostate cancer is common but few men actually die of it, right? That is correct. As I mentioned, autopsy that is common. <laughs> sure. So prostate cancer is an indolent disease, it grow or it grows over time. Yeah.
1: And it just comes with age. The more advanced you get in age, the the size of the prostate begins to grow. and yeah. large prostate does not necessarily mean that you do have the disease. Yeah. So some people men will
0: die with other diseases It doesn't mean that they don't have prostate issues. But yeah. that is not what necessarily kills. Them. Yeah. And um if if detected early it's very curable. Um, the myth number two is that prostate cancer is an old man's disease. Not necessarily. Actually, I sat across the desk, um, uh, <laughs> with an
1: African American man. He was 38 when he was diagnosed with advanced stage of the disease. So, yeah. He had to go through, uh, um, the radical prostate Absolutely. He oh. talked to me because we we're trying to, uh, do a, a testing for some messages to get men's attention. Yeah. About getting to go screen. Yeah. He said, told me, Ernie, you have to start from scratch. This is not, you have, his word was, you have to use shock and awe. He says, this stuff you're showing me wouldn't have gotten my attention oh, really? at age 38. And he said, the doctor said, you've had this thing in your system in four to uh, two to four years. That he was presenting with advanced stage at age 38. 30. So that's going back to what we said at the beginning. Some men do have it, you know, um, no, sure. old, but you also have some people who are more predisposed. So this was a 38-year-old African-American man having an advanced stage of the disease. So huh. you don't necessarily need to be old. Yeah. Again, it could be genetics. It could be family history. That's all.
0: Um, um, wrapped up in this. Yeah, and like we said, just to rehash, um, prostate cancer is increasingly being diagnosed in men in their early 30s and even 40s as well. Yeah. And the same goes for breast, breast cancer, especially in African you know population. Um, myth number three: If you don't have any symptoms, then you don't have prostate cancer. Well, prostate cancer is usually asymptomatic. It's
1: when you are having advanced stage of the disease that those signs and symptoms begin to manifest. Right. But if you're having trouble with your urine, or the, the flow is not there, or you're having back pain, yeah. or you're having blood in your semen or your urine, you want to talk to your doctor. But for the most part, it
0: grows slowly without any signs of symptoms. Yes. So please just go check. Like, go do an annual screening and just talk to your doctor about things you're curious to know about. Um, Myth number four, prostate cancer doesn't run in my family, so the odds aren't great that I will get it. Well, if you're a man of African descent,
1: again, we just showed, especially in the U.S., it's not only high of getting it, they're twice as likely to die of prostate cancer. So it depends. Um, if you're a man of average risk, you definitely want to get checked. But then if you've had a family history, what well, misses you don't have a family history. But yeah. if you're a man of African descent, you still have a genetic predisposition. So mm-hmm. it places you at a higher risk compared
0: to other men. Okay. Thank you for that. The PSA test, the prostate-specific antigen test, is um, a cancer test, true or false? Well, it, it's it's not necessarily a cancer test. It's to
1: detect levels of prostate specific antigen in yeah. your body. And yeah. then from there they have to do more tests to determine if you have a cancer. Mm-hmm. And it's not uh it doesn't say if you have cancer or not. It just lets the doctor know if they should be concerned, if they should do a biopsy, to have a pathologist to determine if you have cancer. Mm-hmm. So much
0: sex can lead to prostate cancer. So um <laughs> That is still That's the question. I'm not No, I'm agreeing with you. No, as a question I'm posing, I'm not making that as a definitive fact by the way. No, I'm, I'm <laughs> <laughs>
1: you got you got me excited because I've been on both sides of that. Yeah. So there's there some studies that have shown that. So even to the point we're talking about uh men with three or more daughters, yeah. that some studies study is also mm-hmm. looking at men who report high frequency of sex yeah. that leads yeah.
0: to any prostate cancer. Yeah. So that's still out in the open. Yeah. It's it's not been proven conclusively. I think the argument I heard about that was if you have sex with multiple people, you're prone to inf- infections, correct? Which can lead to inflammatory um, processes that can set that cascade of events. Because cancer is an inflammatory process, correct? Right? And that can trigger. That could trigger. Yeah, absolutely. So it's not. It, it's not very clear. It yes, is, I think STDs. STDs can also predispose. Yes, process.
1: no, no, that's a good argument because we can see the pathway, but yeah. the problem is, has it been conclusively shown
0: that? Oh my so God. that's the evidence for some men that like sex. <laughs>
1: and, and, no, that's a that's a valid point. <clears throat> And that's why some people are reluctant to go get checked up yeah. because it goes back to the habit. I may have to make adjustments in that area, mm-hmm. and that they, they they're reluctant to yeah. make changes. Yeah. So that's a good one, but it's still being debated on, yeah. uh, to be proven conclusively whether or not. Yeah. Don't take it to the bank yet. No.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're not gonna cash anything from it. No. Vastectomies um, can
1: cause prostate cancer. There's some studies have shown that. Some mm-hmm. studies have shown that men yes. who've had vasectomy, stuc- which is male sterilization, yeah, um, they've been shown to have um a higher rates higher
0: rates of prostate cancer later on in life. Some mm-hmm. studies have shown that. Yeah. Um, treatment for prostate cancer can cause impotence or incontinence? So, some treatments
1: potentially could. Uh, incontinence absolutely is a side effect of some uh, treatment, uh, and again, that goes back to the issue of a taboo in Calum where people are not talking about it, because yeah. most of the cases that go to the hospital are advanced and get treated, you know, uh, sometimes it, it doesn't come out well because of the side effects. Mm. And so I can see where those myths are coming from. Okay. um,
0: Is it can you pass it on to somebody? Can you transmit prostate cancer to someone? It's
1: number 10. Well, not necessarily in the form of uh, infectious diseases, but you can inherit some genes that predisposes you to yeah. in terms of the family history. Okay. But it doesn't get transmitted like a, like, HIV mm. or, uh, like HIV or any other infectious disease. Yeah. It's a chronic disease. But then it does have a genetic component in the sense that, um, again, we know that family history is implicated. Yeah. We know that ethnicity is implicated, which yeah. means there could be some genes that you inherit from your parents. Yeah, yeah
0: like the back of cool. and all, right. all of that, yeah. Um, I think another question I wanted to ask was, I know we haven't really looked at phytochemicals. Like, there's some allegations of some local herbs and all that treating prostate cancer. Have you come across any studies showing promising results of some, you know,
1: there are some that yeah. are still working right now, especially in Africa. There is this—I yeah. forget the scientific name. They call it sour salt. It's a
0: salt. Yes, yeah, it has a lot it's of anti- protective, Antioxidant. Things. Antioxidant. It's, it's a higher dose of it. Yeah,
1: I, I think we need to do more research on that. I, I was actually working with somebody in Cameroon who was trying to investigate that. Yeah, uh, I think it's about a lot of promise there. Yeah. My uh, mother I actually mentioned it. And I told her yes. work. there are some studies that are working on that, and it's not been shown conclusive. So. A lot of this, we have, do have some of those natural plants or, uh, um, uh, like plants in Africa that can, that do want, just need to standardize
0: those. them and show, like, benefits and show, um, evidence, sorry, back them with evidence of their effectiveness, the efficacy and their safety yes, as well. Dosage. So you, I can see the pharmacist in your I try my best. Um, I think the final thing I think we, cause we want st- to end strongly on a note of advocacy. And, you know, come sometime in the month, pink ribbons are gonna go everywhere. Mm-hmm. Everyone, you know, having like the pink banners, yellow one for all kinds of health. But I find out that prostate cancer is just that one thing. I haven't seen a lot of celebrities back up. You know? you, you, you're right. I mean, Why HIV, that?
1: you have magic Johnson. I know. know, know Post child right. So the the one person um, that I was very proud to see his advocacy on this uh, on on this disease was. Uh, uh, the retired general Colin Powell. He oh, actually man. had a surgery for, for prostate cancer when he was secretary of state and spoke very openly. So as you know, his originally from, his parents are from Jamaica. Mm. So he just had the Afro Caribbean, his men of African descent. Yeah. And he had prostate cancer. Obviously, I mean, he got the best healthcare. They went to Walter Reed. He got the treatment. But that's something we're still working on. And particularly in Africa, we have people who are shying away. And having role models come up and say, this disease is treatable, I think would we'll do, uh, go a long way to bring down the stigma. But mm. while we're working on that, at the grassroots level, okay. people also have to be educated, to be empowered. Another conversation we're having with the ABR um, consortium in ABR Africa, research. it came a lot as people, uh, so we have, work with urologists and we bring up cases of uh, patients that have been treated and in approach to see if they want to take go to advocacy and they're not quite ready. Is, so yeah. you mentioned the continuum. It takes a while for people to become patients, to become survivors, to become advocates. advocates yeah, We have to work with them one step at a time wow. and showing them the benefits, maybe we could use breast cancer or even use HIV Breast cancer has a perfect
0: model for that. They have a perfect yeah. model. So
1: yeah. uh, the men are somewhat reluctant, but I think we have to work with them to show them the benefits. As we speak right now, uh, the concession that we both work for actually came up with a, a, a toolkit, an advocacy toolkit for yeah. prostate cancer survivors. And it's actually designed, I actually have it right here if I can pull it up for, sure. for our audience to see. It's actually designed to help uh, poor men who have been diagnosed to actually become advocates. As an advocacy tool yeah, so it's yes. actually a training manual. We're looking for men from Africa. Uh, we try to work with them to train them, especially men who've gone through the disease, because they are very strong. They could become very strong spokespeople and, for yeah, this. Yeah. So we're looking for men, especially who've been diagnosed, who come through this to help them train them, yeah. so they could become advocacy. Uh, another thing too is just collecting those da- the data that we need to be able to approach policymakers to say this is a serious problem. We're not talking about this. We're focusing on HIV and AIDS, rightfully so. But we have to pay attention to this, especially yeah, the same, yeah, given the population tissue. structure as people yeah. are growing up, they're becoming older. Yeah. This is a looming public health issue. Mm-hmm. We need to really focus on advocacy to change attitudes, to yeah. empower men to have that informed conversation. If they're not educated about the disease. They're not able to interact with their professor, with their practitioners the about it and actually request yeah. to get
0: checked or to get tested. Yeah. For this. And I think in, in, from my experience being Nigerian is the healthcare, and I don't know if that's also applicable to Cameron. The healthcare structure is a very paternalistic one in that whatever a doctor says, we go. Because if you think about the distance between the doctor and the patient, it's so high that some patients feel like it's insurmountable. So if my doctor doesn't say anything about it, it means I'm going to declare. No, Jose, like you need to start talking to your doctor. You take the charge now of your health. If something feels wrong, or even hearing this and you think, you know, Maybe someone in your family, like a father figure or your dad or your uncle or somebody that you know may have had cancer, just talk to your doctor. They might probably not bring it up, not because they feel like you don't need it, but for whatever reason, but you have to be an advocate for yourself as well. Absolutely. It's important that your doctor
1: who is treating you for providing holistic treatment knows all about your history. Yes. And knowing if somebody in your family has had prostate cancer is an important part of your family history, just yeah. as it is for breast cancer. Yeah. So we need to advocate for um, tell men to be empowered to have that information and to share that with the provider so that they can receive more better treatment, maybe more better
0: recommendations that is more tailored to you as opposed to a generic recommendation. Yeah. And as long as you have, I mean, for most most men have cars. I like can imagine, like, people you, driving a car. If you don't want your car to, like, all of a sudden stop in your highway and then you can't get it off the road, how much more your body? Like, your body is, like, that just so you carry along with you. You know, you can always pack your car and you know, get on the bus and something like that, but there's no way you can park your body. You know. And prostate cancer is a huge burden, especially to the to the family and people having to, you know, um come together and, you know, help that person. It can be preventable, it can be you know curable to a degree if detected in time. And I even think the cost of the treatment is not something that is insurmountable. The PSA test is just a blood test. Yeah. You know, it um, should cost like a couple of thousand naira. Mm-hmm. In my country, it shouldn't be very expensive in Canada. You know, like about 10,000 francs. Yeah, mm-hmm. And then even the rectal examination is something the doctor does, like, in the hospital. So it's not... The only drawback that I see, which is a big drug, and I can imagine, is just the, um, um, the, what's the word, the uncomfortable... In, yeah, inconvenience. inconvenience of it, and, you know, just... But weigh that against the benefits. So think about that. Weigh that against, against that. the
1: benefits. So is it worthwhile to be inconvenient for a while and then know for sure that you're in the clear or to forego that, co- to go with that convenience and then later on find out you have all these issues that could have been dealt with earlier.
0: Yeah.
1: As you mentioned before, a station time saves nine, Save nine uh, family it, members. Yes. And it gives the doctors more tools
0: to, to with. deal with it. Less yeah. aggressive treatment. Yeah. As
1: opposed to an advanced dis- uh, yeah. stage disease. Yeah.
0: And because we know, Dr. Um, Keninja and I know the importance of researching our own disease, we're very committed to prostate cancer. Like I said, I lost a father figure to it, um, in 2006, 2007. I don't remember the exact date. But it's something that I have been very passionate about since then. And, you know, I've, you know, um, gone on with prostate cancer. I think I'm going to stay here for a long as because we see the we see so many opportunities to, you know, um, advocate for not just patients but also for survivors and also um, come up with evidence-based research to show the importance of, you know, talking about prostate cancer and the benefits of screening, especially on some individual level basis.
1: Absolutely. As you said, I'm also really dedicated to the rest of my research work really on trying to help empower educators So they know yeah. what the disease is, they can take action, they can talk to their doctor, they can go more prepared, uh, talking about informed decision-making, having that conversation. Importantly, also sharing whatever information that you have with their loved ones. We okay. shouldn't replicate the whole cycle of uh, a silence and you know, we have this uh, disease in the family. We know it's a familiar disease. So mm-hmm. if you have it, the research shows that one in three people who had a family uh, history of the disease gets diagnosed with yeah. the disease. Yeah. So that's a very high uh, statistic. So High, no, high, high odd, high odds. It's up. something you can even bet on to win. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's important, it's critical that we have this information but
0: then we use it to advantage, advantage to yeah.
1: improve health outcomes. Knowledge is
0: power. Knowledge should not kill you. And so if you're listening to this, if you're female or male, if you're female, go advocate, like go tell your dad or your husband, wherever they fall into the spectrum, ask them about their health. When last they get checkup? It doesn't have to even be prostate health, you know, yes. just generally. Because women, were are powerful at, you know, making men do things we want them to do. How much more when it comes to their health? Do you have any final um, plug before we I just want to thank show? you
1: for using this platform um, to be able to really educate. Because, as you mentioned, knowledge is power. This is empowerment. Uh, there's nothing more important than your health. Uh, we love the women in our lives, but I think we're doing them a disservice. If we don't take care of our bodies, so we're there tomorrow to help provide for them, to see our kids and our grandkids grow on and accomplish great things in life. So it is incumbent upon us, the men, and I'm pleading with you, uh, take some control, know what uh, your health history is, make sure you do your annual test, especially going by the guidelines of the American Urology Association. Association, Every one or two years, if you're a black man, 40 to 50 years old, or if you've had a family history of that. Thank you so much.
0: All right, well, oh my goodness, this was uh, really educative. For me, and even though uh, this is my area of work, but it was really nice to hear from you. And I had a blast. That I passion. enjoyed your passion too. Oh, thank you yes. so much. We're passionate people. Yeah. So if you have any questions, he's giving his um, um phone number. And you want to provide your email address as well. Yes, please. it's uh, ernie.kaninjing at edu. And I'll include that. So if you have any questions for him or for me, about prostate health or you know how to even like brush this issue with your family members or things like that, just let us know because we know that it's teaching time saves. And we've seen that in the demonstrated studies, and even I've seen that personally in you know some of my people that are surrounded that I'm surrounded by. So if you love this content, if you want more shows about more talks about health, let me know what topics you'd like for me to explore and I'll find a thought, you know, a, a thought leader on that. This has been the Most podcast. Um, check out the website ww.mosibyl.com. And I remain your host most of all. Have a nice day, everyone. And thank you so much for attending. Bye-bye. Bye. So I'm glad we finally got the chance to get I know, this. I know. <laughs> this has been fun. Thanks a lot. Okay, <laughs> bye. <laughs> Yay.